You're listening to a message provided by Antioch Bible Baptist Church in Gladstone, Missouri. We intend this to be a helpful resource to you as you grow in your walk with Jesus Christ. This is intended especially for those who are unable to attend our worship gatherings and therefore were unable to hear the teaching of God's Word. This should not replace your gathering with our church as a member. If you're checking us out for the first time and are looking for a church to visit, we hope that you enjoy this content and that it impacts you personally. Thanks for listening. Let me ask you moms and then really everyone in the room and those joining us online today this question to get us thinking about where we're headed. Who are you? If if you had to answer this question, who are you? How would you answer And I want you out loud say it, but just be thinking in your heart and mind. How would you answer the question, who are you? Typically, you would answer the who are you question with I am a, and you would fill in the blank. I'm not, this is not a trick question for moms in the room today, right? Like uh, naturally a mother in the room would say today, you're, well, you're, if you're asking, who are you? I'm a mother, right? Like you would answer it in that way. But I, I think if we were to go section to section, we're asked the question, who are you? We would have obviously different answers, but I would say to you that the answer you give, the first thing that came to your mind when you are asked the question, who are you? The first thing that comes to your mind shows you where your identity lies, right? So whatever that first thing is, when you say, I am a, who are you? I am a, and whatever that thing that comes to your mind, that's where your identity lies. When we use the term identity, we're talking about one's self-understanding or one's self-concept. So where your identity lies is where your worth and value lies. So if you were to ask me, who are you? And if the first thing I say to you is I am a pastor, what I'm telling you is that that's where my worth and value lies. That the first thing that would come to my mind when you would ask me, who are you? Is I'm a pastor. Then that's probably where if you watch my life unfold in front of you, that's where I'm going to find my value is in the fact that I am a pastor. So let me maybe go at a little deeper level question and ask you this, where does your identity come from? Well, you would say, well, you're a pastor. That's where your identity comes from because you're a pastor. Then who determines a person's identity, right? If we're going to, where does identity come from? Who determines that person's identity? We're getting at the heart level of where our identity comes from. Tim Keller helps us think through this idea with a humorous illustration in his book, Preaching, Communicating Faith in a Skeptic World. He puts it this way. Imagine an Anglo-Saxon warrior in Britain in AD 800. He has two very strong inner impulses and feelings. One is aggression. He loves to smash and kill people when they show him disrespect. Living in a shame and honor culture with its warrior ethic, he will identify with that feeling. He will say to himself, that's me, that's who I am, and I will express that. The other feeling he senses is same-sex attraction. And to that he will say, that's not me, I will, not, it, I will control and suppress that impulse. Now imagine a young man walking around Manhattan today. He has the same two inward impulses, both equally strong, both difficult to control. What will he say? 
He will look at aggression and think, that's not what I want to be. And I will seek deliverance and therapy and anger management. But he will look at his sexual desires and say, however, and conclude that that is who I am. What does this thought experiment show us, Tim says? Primarily, it reveals that we do not get our identity simply from within. Rather, we receive some interpretive moral grid and we lay it down over various feelings and impulses and sift them through it. This grid helps us decide which feelings are me, quote, and should be expressed and which are not and should not be. So the grid of interpretive beliefs, not an innate, unadulterated expression of our feelings, is what gives us our identity. Despite protest to the contrary, we instinctively know our inner depths are insufficient to guide us. We need some standard or rule from outside of us to help us sort out the warring impulses of our interior life. And where do our Anglo-Saxon warrior and our modern Manhattan man get their grids? From their cultures, their communities, their heroic stories. They are actually not simply choosing to be themselves, quote. They are filtering their feelings, jettisoning some, embracing others. They are choosing to be the selves their culture tells them they may be. This is what he's saying. Our identity doesn't come from within. Our identity comes from outside of us and we filter it through our inner self. So here's what I would say our culture says today. Our culture would say to us today that your identity comes from your desire over your design. That's what culture says to you. Desire over design, right? What you feel on the inside, that is the real you. Whereas Jesus says, it's your design over your desire. That your identity comes from who has designed you, who has made you. As followers of Jesus Christ, we know that our standard or rule comes from outside of us. And that standard and rule is the word of God. It is what tells us our identity. So here are two truths I want to remind you of today about our design from the word of God. Now, why talk about identity on Mother's Day? Because in my observation and talking to ladies who counsel other women, one of the biggest struggles amongst ladies is their identity and what they find their identity in. And so my desire today is to help moms in the room, but women in the room, to help you and remind you of where your identity lies. And for us men that are in the room, we'll get uh, uh, help as well as we think about where our identity lies. It's so easy to allow culture to tell us what our identity is rather than going to the designer, to God's word, and let it tell us what our identity is. So two truths I want you to remember about our design. The first truth is that we were created by God. Go with me to Genesis chapter 1. In verse 27. Genesis chapter 1. We've been spending a lot of time through our series Sexuality in the Gospel in the book of Genesis. And so we're going back there again today as we think about our identity and where our identity comes from. 
We were created by God, Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. You and I were created by God. We were created in the image of God. We were created to reflect and represent God. You and I are the crown of God's creation because you and I were made in the image of God. There's nothing else in creation that has been made in the image of God. You and I have been made in the image of God. We've been made to represent and reflect God to the world. Jesus affirms this in Matthew chapter 19 in verse 4 when he's talking with some religious leaders about divorce. He says in verse 4, have you not read that he, God, who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Jesus affirmed Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27 that you were created in the image of God as male or female. You were created in the image of God. You go to Colossians chapter 1 and verses 16 and 17. It says, for by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. We were created by God. That's where our identity starts outside of us is understanding who our creator is and that we were created by God. Elizabeth Elliot in her book, Let Me Be a Woman says, to understand the meaning of womanhood, we have to start with God. If he is indeed creator of all things, visible and invisible, he is certainly in charge of all things, visible and invisible, stupendous or minuscule, magnificent or tr and trivial. God has to be in charge of details if he is going to be in charge of the overall design, right? You and I have been created by God. Our worth and value comes from our grand designer. Your worth and value comes from your grand designer. Women in the room today, he did not make you to be male, but female. He did not mess up when he made you female. He knew what he was doing when he put the XX chromosome in your DNA. A woman is one who is biologically one. Men, he did not make you to be female, but male. He did not mess up when he made you male. He knew what he was doing when he put the XY chromosome in your DNA. A man is one who is biologically one. Life has meaning and purpose because you were created by God and your identity should flow from who your designer is and your designer is God. That's the first truth I want to remind you of when it comes to our identity is that you were created by God. The second truth that I want to remind you of is that we were created for community. We see this throughout the pages of scripture, but I would encourage you to go back to Genesis chapter one with me and look at verse 26. 
the one right before uh, 27 where he talks about creating us in the image of God. He uses an interesting term when he creates man and woman. He says this in verse 26 of Genesis 1. Then God said, let, listen, us make man in our image. Now, why didn't it say, let me make man in our image? Why did Moses choose to interpret it as, let us make man in our image? Who's the us? Well, the us is the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So we were created to reflect the image of God. And how do we reflect the image of God? By being a part of community. You were not created to live in isolation. You were created to live in community. And even in your DNA through God has made you, how God has made you, he has made you to be a part of community. We reflect the Trinity, God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, all submitting to each other and working together in this perfect union when we are a part of community. We were created for community because we were created by God who said, let us make man in our image. We see it in creation itself. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18. We've talked about this verse, but I'll quickly remind you of it when the Lord God said, verse 18 in verse chapter 2, that man should not be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So God creates the world and he looks at his good creation. He says, there's one thing that's not good. And the one thing that was not good, that was man was alone. And so God in his goodness and kindness and grace makes women. And he says, now there's a helper fit for him. There's someone who's compliment, complimentary to the man and they can work together as God designed it because it was not good for him to be alone. We see it even in the creation of man and woman that God was saying we were created for community. We were not created to do this life alone. We see it throughout the pages of scripture. I could go to Genesis chapter 12 and show you how God blesses Abraham, but he doesn't bless a man just so that his family can be blessed. He blesses a man so that the whole world can be blessed. We can go to the book of Ephesians chapter two, verses 11 through 22, where God says there's this one new man, the church, and you were created to be a part of that community known as the church. You can go to Romans chapter 12, where he talks about presenting our bodies a living sacrifice. That's not me presenting my body because I don't have multiple bodies. I got one body. So when he uses the term bodies, he's talking about a community. When you go to Hebrews chapter 10, he says, let us stir up one another to love and to good works. It's the idea that you and I were created for community. The Bible is a book that is written to a community of people. So when we read the book, we don't read it in isolation. We read it in light of Antioch Bible Baptist Church and this community that we are a part of and the bigger C church of the church worldwide, right? We read it in the context of community. Why? Because we were created for community. We even go to the end of the Bible and in Revelation chapter 21, in verse three, we find that we're gonna have community for the rest of our lives after this life is done in Revelation 21 and verse three. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man 
and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Heaven is going to be an eternal community. So all the introverts in the room are like, heaven's not as exciting as I thought it was, right? Like this sounds miserable, an eternity with people, right? I I think we'll have, that'll be fixed probably in uh, our new bodies, right? Um, But we will spend an eternity with God's people. Why? Because we were created for community. Our identity flows from our designer who made us for community. One of the things that I'm noticing post-COVID world is this isolation that is happening in our culture where we are pulling away from friendships and community because it's difficult, right? And I see it a lot around young adults who are beginning, you know, you've lived through a few years of your community came from your phone, right? Your community came from connections that way. And so as we've transitioned back into society and being together, it's begun to be difficult to, to be with people and work through those awkwardnesses of being together with people. But I, I want to encourage you today. You've been created for community. It's worth pushing through the awkwardness uh, with people to have community because that's what you were created for. Listen, you weren't created to scroll through reels on your phone. You weren't created to get on Pinterest and see everybody's perfect life of how they do parties and how they dress and how they do their nails and all those kind of things and just scroll through that and live in that. That's not the world you were created for. You were created for community. And don't hide behind the lens of a screen. Get face to face with people that love you and care for you. Be with them. Moms, I think this is a danger for you as well, isolation. I remember those days when our kids were babies. Those were great days. I love looking back on those days. But I can remember coming home and Ruth just like, can I have an adult conversation with you, right? Like (laughs) I've talked to babies all day. I've changed diapers. I've chased kids around the room. You know, I've chased them outside who were peeing on trees because they didn't have underwear on, right? Kind of, you know what I'm talking about. And I would come home and she would be just tired and wore out. And the natural inclination for Ruth was to go to isolation. Like, I just want to be alone. I don't want to be around people. And moms, I want to encourage you, you were made for community. So fight through that isolation feeling of, I just want to be alone. You need other women in your life to help you through these early years of life. Don't isolate yourself from community. You were created for community. And I know it's difficult to get kids in car seats and to go somewhere and get them out of the car seats. I know everything takes hours upon hours upon hours, but you were created. It's worth the effort. Don't allow the enemy to tell you, yeah, you don't need that. You need it in your life. You were created for community. Why do you think Satan took Jesus to the wilderness for 40 years, or 40 years, 40 days. He was trying to isolate him. He was getting him away from community. And the enemy is lying to you when he's saying, you you, you just, just get on your phone, right? 
Just watch, binge on another show. You were created for more than that. You were created for community. So why is this such a struggle for us to know that we were created by God and we were created for community? Because Genesis 3 happened, right? When sin entered the world, we all began to reject our designer and resist community unless it fit into our desires. We will follow our designer as long as it fits with our desires. We will be a part of community as long as they support my desires. And we began to choose our desires over our designer. In a real way, when we did that, we began to self-destruct. So how does God remedy the situation even though he didn't have to? How does God show us mercy and grace even though we chose to rebel against him? Even though we chose our desires over our design? He chose to use the seed of a woman. He chose to use his grand design. He chose to use a mom. Look at Genesis chapter 3. In verse 15, this is after the fall. God is talking to the serpent and Adam and Eve about the consequences of their decision, of Adam and Eve's decision to eat of the fruit. And look at verse 15. But I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring, your seed, and her seed, and he shall crush idea, bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So in this, Jesus is telling the serpent, listen, there's going to be a person that's going to come from the seed of a woman, and they're going to crush your head. You're going to bruise their heel, but they're going to actually crush your head. Thousands of years later, you come to Luke chapter 1, and in Luke chapter 1 and verse 26, you find this story. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed, idea of engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And listen to verse 31 and following. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Who is this man that will come from the womb of Mary? Jesus, the serpent crusher himself. Jesus will give us a way to be get back to our original design to see ourselves as created by God and for community with him and with each other. So when people would come to Jesus when he was on earth and they would say, Jesus, how should we live our lives? He would say, love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as you love yourself. What was he saying? This is what we were created to do. This is where our identity comes from. 
We were created by God, so we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we were created for community. Therefore, we love others. Paul tells us in Galatians that, and I'll go back to Galatians chapter 3 and verse 26 before I get to verse 28, but Paul says this along this idea of where our identity comes from. He says, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons and daughters of God. For, so he's saying, those who put their faith and trust in Jesus are children of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. Listen to verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul says, when people ask, who are you? Your response should be, I am a child of God. That's where our identity lies. Is Paul saying we should do away with our nationality, Jew and Greek? We should do away with our employment, right? Employers, employees. We should do away with our gender, male and female. No, he's not saying that. But he's saying the priority in your life, where your identity flows from first and foremost is, I am a child of God. When we say at Antioch, the most important thing is the gospel. This is what we're saying. That, that, who, who are you? I, I am a child of God. How do I become a child of God? John 1, 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of man, nor of the will of the flesh, but of God. How do you become a child of God? By taking what Jesus has done for you on the cross for yourself and believing that he died, buried, and was rose again for you. And you can become a child of God. Mom, are you a child of God? There's no greater day that you could put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ than on Mother's Day. Are you a child of God? You say, it's, I, don't I have to do something? Well, it said, believe and receive. Believe that Jesus died for you, was buried and rose again and take it for yourself. And you can become a child of God. And for those of us who would answer, I am a child of God. Now, I know you probably didn't say when I said, who are you? I am a child of God, right? I, probably for the most of us, our minds went to what we do, right? I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a pastor, um, right? Like we went, I'm a coach. We went to what we do. Our natural inclination is not to go to that with our identity. But what God is calling us as children of his is that that should be our first response when somebody says, who are you? Our first response should be, I am a child of God. Because our culture pushes us and I think causes us to lose sight of our true identity. And maybe today you've allowed the pressures of culture to tell you where your identity should lie. 
That your identity should lie in what you do and what you've accomplished and your success and, and all those kinds of things that our culture is constantly telling us. These desires are what you should go after. And what I'm calling you today to do is to repent and return to the reality that you are a child of God. You are a child of God who is a mother. You are a child of God who is married. You are a child of God who is an employee or an employer. You are a child of God. That is who you are, right? And so may our hearts find rest in that reality that we belong to God. We were created by him for him and we were created for community and when I say that I am a child of God I am a part of the family of God and that makes all the difference in the world Father thank you for your word and for the reminder today that our identity comes from you my prayer is for the mom that has never become a child of God, that she finds her identity and maybe being a mother, like that's, that's, that's what she lives for. I pray today, Lord, that that mom would transfer her trust from being a mother to being a child of you and that she would put her faith and trust in you. And for those mothers in the room today that know that reality, they, they believe that, but maybe they just lost sight of it. In the, in the all-consuming life of being a mother, they, they've just lost sight of the fact that being a child of God is first and foremost the important thing in their life. And everything else flows from that. Remind them of that today. Remind them that their worth and value doesn't come from how their kids turn out or how their kids act when they go to kids ministry or how their kids act at school or just remind them, Lord, that their identity comes, their worth and their value comes from the fact that they were created by you and that they were created for community with you and with others. So help them to be reminded today that they belong to you. What a great gift moms are. Thank you, Lord, for that good gift. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. You're always welcome at Antioch. If you desire more information, please go to AntiochBBC.org. That's AntiochBBC.org. God's best to you.